What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing? Welcome to The Cutting Room, the official podcast for FilmReview.com. And every week we bring you an interview with a film professional to discuss their work and explore the craft of filmmaking. And of course, this week is no different. I'm interviewing Kayla Emter, who recently edited Flaming Hot for director Eva Longoria. This comedy is based on the true story of Richard Montañez, who went from Frito-Lay janitor to board member by using his Mexican heritage to create Flaming Hot Cheetos. In this interview, we discuss creating beats and using timing to get the best out of your jokes. If you enjoy these interviews, you'll definitely want to check out FilmmakerU.com, where we interview and bring in the best of the industry to discuss their craft and show us their secrets. Some of these experts include Eric Whip, colorist for Mad Max, three-time Oscar winner VFX supervisor Rob Legato, award-winning doc producer for HBO Sam Pollard, and much, much more. Use the promo code THECUTTINGROOM, all one word, and you'll get 10% off. Now with that said, let's see what Kayla has to say about editing Flaming Hot. I guess my first question for you is how did you get involved with this movie? Yeah, I mean, uh, nothing too special. My agent called and said, um, hey, I, I heard about this movie Eva Longoria is directing and it's about the you know the man who created the flaming hot cheeto and i had heard rumblings about the story previously and i told her i'm in get me a meeting i'll show up anything it was just a really exciting um idea and and to be able to work with eva was also going to be a great opportunity so i was lucky to get the meeting and um yeah so what was the initial discussions like what was it for lack of a better way of saying it like your marching orders or what she was looking for in it when you first met with her yeah I mean the meeting went really well because we found out that our sensibilities aligned and the things we love most about the story um, we both shared and we both had ideas on how to really take it up a notch and I think a lot of it was going to be infusing a lot of personality and energy into it because that's so much of who his character is um, and so those initial conversations were uh, a great, um, you know, kickoff. And then, you know, in the edit, when I started working with Eva, you know, she's she's so smart and kind and has such a clear vision of what she wants that, you know, it worked out well. Uh, or she always told me, um, I'm really great at reacting to things. And so I loved that. And so we, instead of being super hands-on in the edit, she actually created this environment where I could run with my ideas and instincts on how to best tell the story. And then I present them to her. And, you know, because every director works differently, but that approach worked really well because she was able to come in with fresh eyes and, you know, big ideas and, you know, a good direction moving forward. And so that was a good uh, system for us. And personally, I really loved it because it was a good growing opportunity for me as an editor, because I had to, it required me to have conviction on why I was choosing to present this version over another and my reasons why. Um, I always had a few extra up my sleeve because that's the beauty of editing is there's several ways to always meet a goal. Um, but yeah, I mean, we seemed, we were in line for most of the movie and she's a great collaborator and it was a really positive experience. 
editing is like the last rewrite essentially of the film so in what ways did the film change from the script and from the shoot when you got into editing I mean, I think the biggest shift, which is very much the rewriting, was the structure. Um, originally, it was a little bit more nonlinear. Um, some of the flashbacks of Richard as a child and the days with um, with him and the gang were interspersed later in the movie. And, you know, they had a purpose in their original locations. Um, but, you know, kind of watching it back, we realized that Richard's, you know, arc and his journey was much more um, meaningful and uh, impactful when we could actually see where he came from and his growth. So, you know, seeing him as a kid and going through all these obstacles and when he finally gets the job, you know, at Frito-Lay, you're rooting for him. You don't, you're, you want everything to go smoothly because of all the obstacles he's overcome. And so that was the biggest kind of rewrite, which also then went hand in hand with switching up some of the voiceover because we needed to create new connecting tissue to tell uh, a linear story. If you had those, like his life spread out, those are sort of like little mini uh, fun montage, quick bits. Mm -hmm. So if you bring them more to the head, did you guys have to like create new montages elsewhere? Or like, how did that affect your cut down the line? I mean, not too much, which is maybe kind of a telling sign that maybe they always had a home somewhere else. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, by moving them, it didn't really impact the remainder of the structure too much. It just kind of kept things streamlined. And maybe there was a little bit of trickery to bridge that gap, but it wasn't too much of an obstacle. Now, you talked about the playful editing a bit or you talked about having the same sensibilities where was that stuff some of that stuff shot on set or was some of it created in post like where where did that come in and where did you sort of have your freedom in that I mean I think the uh the fantasy sequences uh yeah. those are a lot of fun I think it's some of the most charming parts of the movie um I think it's it's a great opportunity to get to know Richard and his voice more um, and, you know, even I always liked the idea of playing with those. And so it was this balance of uh, reality and whimsical. Um, we wanted the audience to not know where we, we were going, but we didn't want to confuse them. So we kind of played around with the different ideas of visually, what can we do to impact this fantasy so we kind of know where we're at or, you know, definitely with the soundscape, you know, there's the one scene where uh, Enrico's speaking to Richard through the TV and we were really careful to, you know, suck out all of the sound when that's happening and maybe his voice is more reverbed here than other places and, you know, just kind of playing with the music uh, as well, being more fun with it, you know, trying, oh, what if it's ethereal? What if it's more of a, a grand entrance? And, you know, just not hesitating to try everything for those sequences because, you know, there's so much opportunity and we wanted to make sure we had, you know, found the right, landed on the right thing. Now, you and I talked before uh, briefly just, and I asked, you know, was there a particular scene that you wanted to discuss? Like that was tricky to edit and you'd mentioned them in the 80s uh him and his wife so yep. can you describe the scene and what was tricky about that yeah I mean so it's the scene where we meet Richard and Judy in I think 1982 uh they have a family life now 
Um, and as most uh, families can be, it was very chaotic in that scene. You know, he's fixing the refrigerator in the background. She's, you know, making food. The kid wants attention. And then there's a baby. So there was a lot of moving parts in that scene. And when I started to dive into it, it seemed very straightforward. And then it turned out to be one of those um, perfect storms of hurdles. Uh, so the first one is that the the location was really, it was a really tight location. So Eva and our DP, Federico, their hands were a little tied with the coverage they could get. So there was limited coverage for me to cut around, which meant continuity issues really jumped out. Um, I don't usually worry about continuity too much, but in this scene, I had to really pay attention to it. And then the other hurdle was um, the baby. The baby had a lot of feelings that day. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it, it would be um, crying, uh, wailing, whimpering, silent uh, throughout the scene. And I found that it was a, I, I realized early on, it was going to be a cut by cut scene that, okay, I found this take with Judy with the line that I love and the baby is whimpering. And then, you know, the next line I really want to go to, it's full on crying. And so it was kind of this puzzle of picking great performances that can cut together to make the baby consistent by using um, specific sound effects or can, how do you build um, an arc of a baby being upset? Um, and then, you know, the continuity itself. And you know, I don't know, for me growing up, mornings were always chaotic. And I think a lot of it had to do with just the noise. Um, you know, so Richard in the background fixing the fridge, you know, he's mumbling uh, and he's on his own journey back there. And we're, we're building that progression. Um, you know, we spent a lot of time even finding the right background sound. For me, it was always cartoons. And they were always too loud. Um, and so we played around with that in the scene. And that was a little too distracting. So now we did a radio in the background. And so it was finding the right level of chaos that everybody, the audience, could get settled into these characters um, and, and clearly follow them, but not feel um, too relaxed. So it was a journey. That one, every time I watch it now, I'm like, oh, thank God. <laughs> We got it, <laughs> but it was hard and it was loud editing it. Well, and that one of my questions was going to be about the noise because you want to sort of guide people through it, but still give a sense of noise. But if the baby's making crying and everyone's sort of making noise, I guess you could say, because you said Eva liked to uh, react to it. Mm -hmm. But in this situation, you're also having to cherry pick moments and build up so when you showed it to her, what was her reaction? Did you guys go back and rework things or was it sort of like because you had to sort of be very specific about what you picked, you sort of minutely altered it? I mean, I think, you know, with the more limited options you have, it becomes very clear what's the strongest choice for performances. Um, so we kind of landed on the right performances pretty early on. Um, I think something we played around with was how to start the scene. Uh, originally, the 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 young boy Lucky would run in saying "Mom, Mom," and you know was showing that his shoe was broken, and then she would go over to the sink to fill up the baby bottle, and then you know kind of then we kind of caught a glimpse of Richard in the background. 
So what we kind of decided to, again, set the stage was starting with Judy by the sink, you know, having a minute to ground ourselves with, okay, now we're in a kitchen and there's a baby. And then, you know, I wanted to see Richard pretty quickly on because he's our guy. want to make sure we see here he is. This is what he looks like in the 80s. He's struggling with the fridge so we can just absorb the sounds in the background. Then you bring the kid in you know, making a whole commotion, and then you just let the tornado uh, continue. And so I think that was the biggest, um, you know, kind of jumbling that we played around with. And then, you know, it was about choices of when to, um, you know, take away the sound of the chaos with the background radio and bring in the score and where to slow it down and, you know, how how to really stick the landing of that scene because then we're launching into the movie, you know, Richard's mm-hmm. on his journeys, you know, they're looking for work and it's kind of what kicks off, you know, how, how Frito-Lay came to be. I got to ask, what was Richard's rushes like? I feel like, cause he was such an interesting character. Like he, there's a charisma with him that mm-hmm. was just I, like throughout the movie. I was just like, ah, he's a really likable character. I mean, Jesse Garcia is just incredible. I loved cutting his dailies. He just did such a good job. And I think, you know, him and Eva, they must have had so many conversations about what this character, you know, who he is, because you're right. It's he's so charming and infectious to watch. And, you know, he was he gave me a good range of things to pick from, but it was always, you know, in line with the character And, you know, something, you know, every director is different, but what I really found interesting about Eva and loved is she didn't hesitate to yell out in the middle of a take, do it like this, or like, say that again, you know, and they had such a good back and forth that it never like got to him, or he was never surprised when she would do that. He would just deliver again, or he would take it to that next level. You could, you could tell they knew what they were saying to each other. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it was great working with his footage. He's just such, he and Annie Gonzalez, who plays Judy just made uh, my job so much fun. And it was, a you know, a lot of great options to choose from. Now you mentioned that like that one scene was like cut by cut. You're going to have to tackle this shot by shot when you get your footage in, like, how do you like to approach a scene? Cause depending on the day, you know, you might get a scene like that, but you also might get a scene that's very straightforward and easy to cut. So how do you, when you start your day, like to cut? Yeah, I mean, it's changed over the years, right? Like you learn new tips and tricks and what works for you. My most recent is I watch all the dailies, no matter what, every take. um, I always keep an eye out what's before and after action and cut. Um, What I'll do is I'll watch and I'll start just pulling selects and laying them out in a timeline. And uh, anything that kind of catches my eye. And then after I get through all the dailies, I'll go into that sequence and I'll rearrange it by the order of the scene and, you know, the different beats. And so it becomes very clear to me what moments I've pulled for the scene beat by beat and maybe where I didn't pull something. And then I'd have to go back in and be like, okay, what's the best of what I had? There was, I didn't have an immediate reaction to something on my first watch. And then I'll use that sequence as kind of my master selects and something easy to scrub through down the line. But then I'll just use that to kind of whittle down what I think are the best of the best for that scene. 
and it it seems to be working well for me and it's it's nice to be able to go back easily and see what i was drawn to even if i didn't use that first option you know what other what other things did i pull now you've in the past in when i was doing research for this you've uh talked about sort of getting mentored or guided by john alexrad mm-hmm. and i'm wondering uh what did you learn from him like is there a thing that you've learned that you take to every single project? I was very lucky to be brought under John Axelrad. I, we, there's a, a kind of a joke and, a, and a, of, you know, he kind of has this camp of uh, assistants that have grown um, under his guidance, which has been great. I mean, Tom Cross is part of that, you know, club. He actually trained me how to be a first assistant. Um, you know, Lee Haugen is, you know, has worked with John a few times too, and he's out doing his thing. And I think what I learned from John that I definitely carry forward is that everybody in the editing room matters. You know, I think back in the day, it was a little bit more, you know, you have to pay your dues and, and this is how you have to prove that you're worthy. And John was very much, you know, hey, what does the post PA think? What does the assistant think? You know, as many options, like, you know, feel free to edit as much as you can. I'll give you feedback. He'll give credit where credit's due. I think it was just so it was it was good proof that a movie or TV show is stronger when you use your team and collect ideas. And, you know, I love working with a director because you can just spitball ideas so quickly and, and it's exciting and you find that solution or you take that bad idea and you expand on it. And when you have a team that's invested in the movie, you know, you're all in it together and you're all trying to make the best product and the best idea wins. And so I've always really believed in a positive, welcoming, caring editing room because the work we do is hard and the hours are long and I think when you walk into a space and you feel comfortable and appreciated, I think it just makes such a huge impact on the product. You know, I, when I was doing the research for this, you talked about you had done indie films and then getting into Hustlers that were sort of like people are like, oh, you don't you can't do montages. <laughs> yeah. Kind of absurd. <laughs> um, and, you know, now you've sort of you've grown as an editor. Is there a particular type of film or genre that you really want to tackle that you haven't had a chance yet? That's a good question. Um, I love all the types of movies I work on uh, because I always find a new tool to use, um, a new mindset, a new challenge, which is what I love about editing is there's always something new to learn. Um, So whether it's horror or thriller or I've done a few biopics now, um, there's always something to gain. Um, You know, I think I'm excited for... Um, you know, I'd be interested in trying a musical. Um, I like the idea of something dark and, you know, a thriller or a drama, something that has um, a little bit more edge could be fun just to kind of practice uh, those tools. Um, also intrigued by documentary. I mean, it's not something I've uh, ever felt comfortable doing, which is kind of why I want to give it a shot, because I think there's just something pretty great about growing as an editor and a storyteller and it will always impact the next, the next project. So now I have to ask, what was your favorite scene to edit in this? Like, was there one that was just so much fun because of all the playfulness in the cutting room? I mean, there's so many. Um, I think if I had to choose and it's kind of cheating because it's not just one scene, 
but I'd say the montages, which is, you know, kind of interesting going back to that hustlers references. Montages used to really intimidate me because there's a lot, it feels very daunting and you feel a lot of pressure to, um, you know, get it right really quickly because we're always up against a clock. And, you know, I've kind of just learned to embrace it because <laughs> some will happen, some will come together quickly and others do not. And your arm feels like it's going to fall off from clicking around so much, but you just kind of have to persevere and trust the process. So on this one, I just, I think there's like 15 montages, which is quite a lot. And so I just decided to give in to the process and spend the time how I needed to and enjoy it. And, you know, it was, I think it was a lot of fun to put these together because you have this, so many layers, you have this charming voiceover, great sound design from our sound supervisor, Katie Halliday. She, we played around with whooshes and swooshes, and I think it created a lot of depth for the montages. And then you have iconic songs that were picked out from Eva and our music supervisor, Vanessa Perry. And then, you know, uh, Federico, our DP, made my life so easy for those montages by there's just so much dynamic movement in them. And then again, you know, the acting was so great. So I think I really enjoyed cutting those together and seeing them come to life. And so when I watch them now, I, I feel even more joy and, and really enjoy them. My last question for you, what would you say is your favorite Guilty Pleasure film or TV show to watch? A lot of everything I watch could be categorized as guilty pleasure. Um, and I have no guilt. Uh, I think I'm, I'm very much a feel-good movie kind of girl at the end of the day. So I think the one I, I always go back to and, and maybe was ahead of its time was Wet Hot American Summer. Um, that one I carry with me. I watch it constantly. I'm a big fan. Um, another one I always go to is Working Girl. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it always, for some reason, empowers me before a movie. I'm like, yeah, if you put your mind to something and you're determined, you can succeed. Um, and then just because I have to say it, and again, no guilt on this one, and I think a lot of people will agree, is Top Gun uh, 1 and 2. Uh, those are always on a loop in my house. For Wet Hot American Summer, did you watch the show too? I did. What did you think of the show? Because they, they I... both are great. They're great. I mean, I appreciated the show for, you know, this kind of revamp, but it was it was a hard switching of a mindset from what you know and love and, and these people uh, that you were so um, invested in and then try to wrap your head around a whole different series. But there's so much charm in that, too. And I love all the new cast members that joined that series. Well, thank you so much for letting me interview you today. Thank you for having me. So that's my interview with Kayla. I'd like to thank her for allowing me to interview her. I'd also like to thank Evan Winch for cutting this episode. And of course, my producer, Jason Mankey. I'm Gordon Burkell. Thanks for listening.